Hello and welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinavellis and we are brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. They have a proven record for getting players to the next level. If you or your daughter or your niece or someone you know wants to play high-level softball for an outstanding club program, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. So, what team in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Tri-State area has the best record among Division I men's basketball teams? That's right. Princeton. The Tigers are 13-1 after trouncing Harvard in their Ivy League opener last Saturday. The team is off until Monday. They have an MLK, Martin Luther King Day matinee at 2 p.m., at Jadwin Gym, they're going to be hosting Dartmouth. Get out there and support the Tigers. It is my pleasure now to welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, the starting forward of your Princeton University Tigers, Zach Martini. Zach, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Brian. Really happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So, Zach, you know, talk about this start that you guys are on here as a whole. You know, how well is this team playing right now and, and what has it been like? It's been a it's been a great first fourteen games. We're having a lot of fun. We're uh, translating, carrying over some of that magic we had in twenty three into twenty four, and I think we really showed it on uh, January sixth against Harvard. Yeah. So, how have you been able to overcome some of the losses that you have last year, uh, especially with the seniors that you had with 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 Tosan and making up for for uh, those players that are missing? Yeah. It's really hard to fill his role. I don't think anyone really can do that. But I think we just adapted, and Coach Henderson kind of changed the way we wanted to play. Um, we had a lot of success playing through Tosan, and now we're having a lot of that success playing through Cade Pierce. Um, and we're doing a great job of exploiting mismatches with Xavier. And we just we had a lot of guys that I know uh, myself, Xavier, and Blake may not have started on last year's team, but we've we all played in high-pressure scenarios and big-time games, so... We're all used to this um, high-stakes environment, ready to play, yeah. When you beat Harvard the way you did, um, look, you guys are just trying to win games out there, but uh, what it, it all seemed to come together. You know, you hit a couple of big threes. I mean, I think you ended up with four threes in that game, you personally, Zach. So um, offensively, teams that don't really follow Princeton, I mean, you're putting up, what, 89 points in that game? You know, what, what works so well against Harvard? We we had a we had a to, to tell you the truth we had a great look from our scout team all week and they really applied the pressure onto us and I I mean I can't I can't speak enough how how well they prepared us for that game um, and then getting into the game we were ready to go uh, we like I said we got a great look from them and we just we just play through each other we uh, we're very reactive we we like to take advantage of mismatches and um, obviously Xavier did a tremendous job. Um, kind of getting to getting into the paint, kicking out to three and uh, playing inside out is where we're at, we're at our best. Man, Zach, what is it like playing with these, the players that you have around you? Xavier Lee and Caden Pierce just got nominated. Uh, they're on the midseason watch list uh, for major awards. Yeah. And, you know, you have Matt Alaco. You can't forget him as well. Let's mm -hmm. take them one by one. All right. Beginning with Caden. Uh, pound for pound, and for my money, I don't know if there's a better rebounder in the country for his size. Yeah, like like exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Um, he always he always kind of jokes about how he's not really six seven, or maybe he's only six five, six six. But I think it's just only it's even more of a testament to his rebounding capabilities. Um, I think a, a great thing that we try to um, capitalize on is in the film sessions, just kind of. Uh, pausing the film and seeing how high he jumps up to get the ball above the rim. And it's it's truly extraordinary. And it's um it's not just athleticism, it's timing, it's um understanding, um, will to not get boxed out. He's a tremendous rebounder. Um and he's really fun to play along because I know if I miss a box out, he's probably it's probably in his hands. So is he like that in practice too? Going in after every rebound? Yeah, yeah. I think um I think him and I uh I think him and I, on both sides of the ball, we try to um, really emphasize not letting any opportunities go to waste. We actually chart, um, we, we chart, we chart all our rebounding attempts. So after practice, we see 
if we even missed the, the attempt to go into to into to go in and crash. So uh, it's definitely it's definitely a good mentality to have. Yeah. Is there a number that that is you know the most in practice uh -oh. that you guys chart? No, we have percentages though, and okay. um, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, I this is arbitrary, but it's his his is probably above ninety five percent. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> would not shock me. So yeah. there was one there was one rebound in particular that I want to talk about. Uh, that game against Furman. Right, okay. you guys are down. I believe it was you were you were down too late in that game. Yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. 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 And Xavier goes. Xavier had the ball in his hands. Sixteen seconds to go. Uh, great drive to the hoop. Misses the layup, and out of nowhere, Pierce comes flying in, grabs the ball as he's falling out of bounds, and zips it out to Alaco, who uh, I don't know how he even saw him. And Alaco ends up hitting the the go ahead three, and you guys win the game in the final seconds. Did that amaze you as much as it amazed uh, me? Uh, I think there was a, it, yeah, it's it's an amazing play, an amazing reaction. I think uh, there's a lot of maturity for him to not panic with the ball and find to find Matt and uh, Matt making that shot actually did shock me less than Cade getting that rebound. Uh, he's he's built for those moments. Um, we knew that was going in not to sound too arrogant but yeah yeah you you guys are are built for these moments like you said you you've had some uh you know from the beginning of the season when you beat Rutgers and and in a game that nobody expected you to win um and that really set the tone I believe for this season so we talked about Pierce uh Alaco he's been doing it his whole career hitting getting game winning jump shots and and putting you guys in in position to win uh what can you say about him He's um, he's he's our leader on the floor, um, and I I you can't pick a better leader to lead a group into any game. Um, he's he's all business approach. He's always talking, always encouraging us. Even if we think with the world's ended, he's he probably he probably wouldn't th think that. He's always got this this belief that we're gonna win the game, and I I quoted him saying that he's stubborn in a way that like. Like like you said, we're down eleven with three minutes to go against Furman. There was never a doubt in his mind that we were going to lose that game. He he always thought we were in that game, and then when someone that has that uh, command and aura feels that way, it just resonates to the rest of the team. And it's 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 an everyday thing with him. Yeah, it's an extraordinary ability. It's contagious. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So and how about Xavier Lee? Now for the casual basketball fan. He has burst onto the scene out of nowhere. Mm. Didn't start last year. Uh, came in to this season and, and was handed the keys to this offense. And right now, I, I, I can't think of a player that is having a better year in the Ivy League, averaging 20 points a game um, and doing it all, rebounding and assists. Maybe it surprises us, but you play with him every day in practice. Are you at least a little bit surprised at what he's doing out there or no? Um, I'm I'm not too surprised because we saw it. We saw it last year. Um, and now it's just the consistency aspect of it is every he's an everyday guy. It's like that's a thing that coach um tries to have us work towards being an everyday guy. Just having your approach be um all basketball, all business, all uh keys to win every day, whether it's practice or the games. And he's really bringing that, and he's thrown a great great. great uh, jump on defense. Uh, one, one, one thing, uh, one anecdote is last year in the championship game against Yale. Um, I remember coach McConnell, like telling him like, like down the stretch, like you're going to go in and win us this game. Um, and he shot, he shot big free throws down the stretch in that game as a freshman in the Ivy league championship. Like he's always been ready for the moment. Um, and now he's just being able to really put everything together. Um, it's fun to watch. He's fun to play with. Oh my goodness, yes. And 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 listen, numbers are going to be the numbers and and there's a lot of games left to be played, but to average 20 points a game on this team with your schedule, that that's an impressive number to get to that point at this point in the season. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. Um and I think I mean we uh we had two division 3 two division 3 games, so we're we didn't play a whole lot of minutes, so I wonder I wonder that, that could even impact it more, yeah.
that's an excellent point, right? It's not like you're padding your numbers against that those teams. I mean, uh, you guys might have played, I don't know, eight, nine minutes in that game, the starters, right? Yeah, uh, if that, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So excellent point. So those players, for those of you who don't know, um, Xavier Lee has been named two-time Ivy League Player of the Year already. Caden Pierce has been named uh, the Ivy League Player of the Week three times. Xavier Lee has been named the Ivy League Player of the Week two times and, and Matt Alaco one time. That is where Princeton stands. But listen, it's a team aspect. It's also Blake Peters. Uh, yep. It's also Zach Martini. And, and Zach, you know, let's not forget about what you're doing over here. And a team of this stars, you've really... Uh, come together with your role. And I want to applaud you because you're, you're putting up some numbers that you haven't put up in the past. And um, twice in a row, you've hit career numbers in, in four threes in a game. Uh, you had a 16-point performance against uh, Delaware and a 14-point performance against Harvard. What are you doing so well over your last, you know, four, five, six games that has put you to this point in the season? I think the main thing is confidence. Uh, I just feel like I'm at a great, great spot um, on both sides of the floor, really at peace with um, my role and what I need to do to help win the help this team win games. Um, and we like we we have so many dynamic players on this team where um, their ability to get inside the paint really opens up my outside game. Um, and to the point where I'm getting I'm able to get off some pretty open shots, and they trust me to knock them down and. I've been doing that at a, at a pretty effective clip right now. So, um, yeah, I'm just just really, really pleased. I, and I know uh, trying to carry it over into the rest of the Ivy League. Everybody on this team is capable of shooting threes. And yes. you're you're at the top of that chart. Uh, last six games, 16 for 22. 16 for 22 from three. 48% from the season. How much do you practice, Zach? How, how, how you know, for this to be this good at this point. Yeah. You know, how much um, do you put into practice? I don't want to um say my workouts are one dimensional, but they almost are. It's uh it's just it's just getting tons of uh, before practice working out with coach Rowley or coach Brett. Um and we're just getting threes within our offense. Whether that's um just mostly uh mostly catch and shoot shots, but just different getting into different actions whether it's a screen down, a drift screen, uh, sprinting to the corner, transition threes, just almost the workout is the same almost every game, almost every day. Um, so I shot I shot a transition three against Harvard, and I've never really shot that shot in the game, but I shoot it every day. So um, that's something that Coach Lawrence and Coach Brett both kind of echoed to me. Um, so, yeah. You're not just, you know, coming off a screen catch and shoot, yeah. right? You can create off the dribble and, like you said, in transition. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just trying to read what the defense has given me. Um, one of the great things about Coach Brett is um, our workouts. I might I might be shooting the same shots, but it's always um, it's always so we're playing Dartmouth on Monday. How can I get shots against Dartmouth? How can I get shots against Harvard? That was that was Saturday's that was last week's workout. So the workouts change, but the shots are the same. So Okay. Zach, yeah. uh, one area of the game I'd like to see you improve on is free throws. You know, you're you're, you're only shooting 100%. Yeah. However, five free throws all year, Zach, five for five. Yeah. How, how are we yeah. going to get those numbers up a little bit? Yeah, I, I got to be uh, – one, one thing I, I think I can improve on is um, if I have a smaller guy on me, just trying to take advantage of the mismatch down low, and I think that'll that'll help my numbers out. And even though – even though maybe one day I won't be shooting 100%, more attempts might be okay. I actually was joking with Coach Brett. I think it's been a year since I've missed a free throw. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> I shot six for seven from the line last year. So, um, yeah. I'm sure you shoot a lot in practice too, right? Because because yeah. you want to be ready for those moments. 100%, 100%. Every, uh, every, every practice we end with making 12 in a row. So. You individually or as a team? Team, team, yeah, team. It's a every it's a, so you, practice does not end until the team makes twelve in a row. Um, we have ten minutes to make twelve in a row. Two guys per hoop. Um, after those ten minutes, if you haven't made them, it's five push-ups for the team. So it's a uh, it's a good way to end practice. We usually we're usually pretty consistent uh, around five ten push-ups of practice. Maybe one or two guys will miss. Okay. Yeah, 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 and 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 just another way to get players 
conditioned and 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 ready for shooting free throws when it counts. Yeah. So um, we lost to St. Joe's by four. Uh, Xavier Lee and freshman Dalen Davis missed four free throws down the down the stretch, and I know they were pretty hard on themselves for that. But then our next D one opponent, Delaware, we won by two points, and the two of them hit huge free throws down the stretch. So I think that just shows that. They're putting in the work. Yeah, it was, it was good. Happy to happy for those guys. Good stuff. Great yeah. stuff. Yeah. Zach, for you personally, um, I want to bring our listeners into this. Uh, your story has been documented. Uh, last year, your junior year in October, you were going through practice and I guess routine practice, setting yeah. a, a screen or taking a charge. I believe you took a charge uh, yeah. and you suffered a collapsed lung mm. and you were in the hospital for five nights you missed six weeks, the first six games. Man, for, for anyone who, who hasn't had that, and uh, I can't imagine going through that, you know, what was that like for you um, when you found out what you had and, and trying to recover from that? Yeah, it was uh, at the moments leading up to me getting into the uh, ambulance were probably the scariest, I don't know, 20 minutes of my life. Um, it was really tough to breathe, just hyperventilating. Um, it was a scary experience, but it, it was like a, it was a, it's a, it was a fluke injury. It's a, I mean, I don't know the odds of that happening ever again are. It's very low. The doctors obviously cleared me to play. Um, and, but it was just, uh, it was scary. I, 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 my first immediate thought was, was I ever going to be able to play how I, how I play again? And that's kind of just a rugged physical player who kind of relies on effort and being, like I said, physical, um, so that was that was the biggest mental hurdle for me to get over, um, and I knew I needed to take a charge again when I, once I got clear to to kind of reset everything and be who I am. Um, and last year was filled with ups and downs, and that that was kind of I was in a strange mental space. Um, yeah, it was it was a really hard thing um, because my body was totally fine, but I had this like strange internal injury. I could move well, but there was always that kind of what if. Um, in the back of my head. So the, the first game back, I got cleared. We played Drexel. And I took a charge within two minutes on a 6'11", 250-pound defender. Wow. Um, and it was, that was like, for me personally, that was like the, some of the most fun I've had playing basketball was that moment right there. Um, I know my mom was terrified. Uh, but I bet. <laughs> it was uh, I hey, that's to... you're not going to change the way you play Zach I mean yeah. I mean and that goes with every competitor out there out there so that moment was proof to you like okay I'm good now good. take a breath exactly. and let's go exactly exactly it I mean it hurt it I mean it uh it's what it was but it was a uh, play to get us the ball back and more importantly for me to just be myself again yeah yeah well good to see you do, do you know how many charges you've taken since then or or is that number uh -huh. in your head as well I don't know. No, I, it's probably over 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And anyone who's ever taken a charge, I mean, they're not easy. Every charge is not created equal. <laughs> oh, no. And there's a, there's a new rule this year. Uh, if, I'm not sure if you're informed of it. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll butcher it trying, I'll butcher it trying to explain it. So I'll save you, from, I'll spare you from those details, but Thank you. Um, they're, they're really leaning, uh, leaning away from charges. They're calling more block block calls this year. I, I think the advantage was for the defender in years past. There's no doubt about it. And, yes. and you know, every single um, flop or or bang, bang play, they automatically said charge. Mm -hmm. But you got to earn it. You got to earn it now. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Okay. All right. Well, well, great to see you back out there. And and obviously, it's been more than a year. It's been whatever it's been now, uh, yeah. 16 yeah. months or oh so. Yeah. But I'm glad you shared that with us because, you know, it's it's a scary moment and it's not something that everyone very rarely, like you said, experiences in their life. Mm. So um, coming out of Gil St. Bernard, Zach, you know, what kind of offers did you have and why did you pick Princeton? I uh, I had a handful of offers, uh, mostly around the East Coast. I was really uh, leaning towards uh, here, Yale and uh, University of Vermont. Um like you said, a local, local guy. So I really got to, um, I mean, it's, it's almost a, almost an advantage being so close. I got to play with the guy, with the guys here a lot, um, a lot more than I got to play 
at other schools who were recruiting me just because my high school is up 206, the same road as here. Mm -hmm. So um, really meeting meeting the players, meeting uh, Coach Henderson, Coach McConnell, really getting to build a relationship with them and see how genuine of coaches and people they were um, really molded my uh, decision. I never, ever thought I would go to school so close to home, but uh, I mean, I, it's been it's been amazing. Four years. Yeah. Best choice of your life. 100 percent. Yeah. Can't can't deny that. Yeah. And good for you. Good for you. And and there are a lot of players on Princeton who who could have gone to a lot of different Division One schools. You know, you're right there with 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 all of them. And and being a student athlete at Princeton um, and being in these practices, you know, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of coaches and a lot of practices around the country where coaches are just like, you know, screaming, man, that is a dumb play. How stupid are you? But those Princeton practices, is it like full of Coach Henderson saying, wow, Zach, that was a smart play. What a smart pass. <laughs> no. Uh, no? No? <laughs> no. No. Um, he, I, I won't say, uh, he, he does He does a good job complimenting us. Uh, he finds he finds that balance, but um, more more so there's uh, tons of tons of Coach Henderson moments where He's passionate. He'll he'll rip you one second and pull you right back up. So um, he's got his unique style, and it works. And it's um, you got to go through it. Uh, first three years, when he would when he would say things to me, I just would totally just like collapse. But now um, it's just it's it's part of the game. It's it's part of growing through Princeton, Princeton basketball. Yeah. And your maturity and all that, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, listen, it 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 it's great. I mean, what an experience for you. Uh, you're an English major. Correct. So so how are you, you know, you're in your last semester of your your four year degree here. And, yeah. and uh, you know, what do you have to look forward to this spring and in academics and, and beyond that? Yeah, um, I I'm English major um, and I have a, really a, a profound appreciation for film. So it's kind of mixed into the into the major. And I'm taking a uh, a course called Research Film Studio, where I'll have the opportunity to kind of create my own short film, which um, is super exciting. And I have no previous uh, experience with that, but it's something mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to. Um, your spring your spring semester at Princeton, you only take two courses because you're trying to finish the gauntlet, which is the thesis. So um, that course I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, you're 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 finishing your thesis. What is that about? Um, it's about, um, this kind of phenomenon called the uncanny, which is, um, as Sigmund Freud, uh, says it's when the familiar starts to become unfamiliar. And I'm looking at that through, uh, mostly a, a director named David Lynch through his, uh, works. Yeah. Awesome. Good luck yeah. with that. And I'm sure it'll be a big relief when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. I definitely will. So Zach, I understand one little thing before we go. Yeah. I understand you you have a, a a high interest in in world flags flags around the world I de I definitely do um it's it all started through playing uh FIFA the, the video game FIFA yes every, every player has their um their country's flag next to their icon so um it's been a minute but I, I think I'm I'm up for it yeah okay so so I I have I have some flags over here some colored yeah. flags and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do a little uh, you know I, I think they will get progressively more challenging but sure. we're gonna see how good you are zach okay sure. Let's do it. all right first one um that is norway yes one for one very good number two uh ukraine two for two all right maybe i'll get you with this one um is that new zealand Ooh, is it australia that was a trick one it's australia Australia, okay which is very similar to new zealand yeah so so do you know the difference between the two flags um right now i don't no i don't it has something to do with the stars so i know uh, australia okay. has this star here and i think new zealand just has this one so maybe that was a little tricky for you no that's but, that's perfect. Yeah. You you were but just just remember the big star there. Okay. So you were you were certainly in the right hemisphere in the right location. Uh-huh. All right. I know you're gonna know this one. And I hope it's not upside down. Okay. Ooh. Um okay. 
It's uh, the Dominican Republic. Yes, very good, Zach. What what made what made you know that it was the Dominican Republic? Um, so I was choosing between that um, Dominican Republic and Panama for some reason. It has the, the kind of the similar rectangle aspect going for it. Same colors, uh, but Panama has some stars in it versus that crest in the middle. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know your flags, and and a lot of them, obviously, you know, they all have different variations of each other. How, how many different flags can you have? Uh -huh. All right, I don't know what type of. I'm going to give you a hint here. I don't know what type of soccer presence this country has, but I'm going to say you're going to get it. Okay, okay. here yeah, we yeah. go. Ready? Ooh, um, yeah. Um, is it a retria, or is it? Um, it's no. not a retria. Ethiopia. It is not Ethiopia. I'm going to give you one more. Wait, wait, wait. Mm. Is it no? Is it Djibouti? Yes. What? Djibouti. Djibouti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. I, I that that was the toughest one. I saved that one for last. <laughs> All right. So so why did you think of those countries? Um. Ethiopia was a was a bad was a bad guess. Um, because now I'm I'm picturing Ethiopia's flag, but Eritrea is a country in East Africa. And those colors look very similar. The pattern looks similar too. I can't, I can't picture that flag in my head, but I know that Eritrea looks more like that one. Yeah, fantastic. Listen, Zach, you had no preparation for this whatsoever, and I just want to, you know, give you a little round of applause for for your participation in that. And thank you. Thank you. No, that was that was a fun. That was a fun bit. That was great. Right. Good stuff, Zach. Zach yeah. Martini, starting forward for the Princeton University Tigers. They're playing Dartmouth on Martin Luther King Day at 2 p.m. at the Jadwin Gym. Great atmosphere. If you haven't gotten out to a Princeton game this year, check them out because this team is doing special things this year, and we wish you continued success and good luck in your next game against Dartmouth. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. All right, Zach Martini, great job. Had a lot of fun talking with him and talking about world flags and Mitch Henderson and uh, everything they chart with rebounding fascinating inside stuff and and look he's getting a princeton degree uh he is on one of the best basketball teams forget about the ivy league they're one of the best basketball teams in the country i put them in the top 30 and they're going to be in the ncaa tournament this year and if they continue on this path uh they could even earn an at-large bid if they don't win the ivy league tournament but great stuff from zach and i uh, hope you learned a little bit too if you're watching on youtube uh, the difference between Australia and New Zealand, their flags, and and Djibouti. So, uh, great stuff out of Zach. All right, thank you very much. And we are now going to go around the tri-state. Seton Hall, St. John's, UConn, and Rutgers. Let's begin with Seton Hall. This is a team, folks, that is red hot. There is no way anyone, even the most optimistic Seton Hall fan, and St. John's fan, for that matter, could have predicted that Seton Hall, St. John's, and UConn would be tied atop the standings in the Big East after five games. They gutted out a win at Georgetown. Every Big East win. Look, there, there is no need to apologize for road wins in the Big East. And there's no need to apologize for wins, period. You just get them any way you want, any way you have to, because they don't count style points in the NCAA selection committee. Seton Hall did it the hard way. They came flying out of the gates, built a 16-point lead. Al Dawes was red hot. What a tear he's been on. Seton Hall was up 19-5. to They were up 24-8. And then Georgetown woke up. And then Georgetown cut it to two. Why? Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Sloppy play, sloppy ball handling, inexcusable passes. Seton Hall's ugliness reared itself. And then Georgetown cuts it to two. Seton Hall gets it back up to eight by halftime. They built a 14-point lead in the second half. And what happened again? Georgetown chips away, and before you know it, Georgetown led with three minutes to go. It was 
65-62 Georgetown with two and a half minutes to play. All, everything that Seton Hall had done right, they did wrong. And somehow in that final media timeout, Seton Hall put it together. Why? Because they did it on the defensive end of the floor. And it was none other than Dylan Adewusu, who was the catalyst. I mean, he came alive. Look at Adewusu's numbers. They're not pretty. Four points, five turnovers for the game. But boy, oh boy, was he the MVP down the stretch. First, he picked up a charge on Jay Heath. That led to a runner by Kaderi Richmond at the other end. And then came the play of the game with Seton Hall down one. Epps, who was killing, killing Seton Hall. All right, Jaden Epps had an amazing game. 30 points in the game. Adewusu was one-on-one with Jaden Epps. And Epps was, he was pulling up for three. And look at the position. Look at the hands of Adewusu on this play. He had him in a defensive position where coaches always preach. Hand in their face, hand in a defensive position. Epps is going up for the jumper. Adewusu strips him, goes the other way. Lays it in and won. Missed the free throw, but Seton Hall still had the momentum. That put Seton Hall up three. And then at the other end, Kaderi Richmond had a steal. Turned that into a layup. And what was once a three-point deficit turned into a five-point lead. A quick 8-0 run. Seton Hall's up 70-65. to They sealed the game at the free throw line with Alamir Dawes going four for four at the free throw line in the final 30 seconds. Not only did Seton Hall get the ball to their best free throw shooter, how many times in the past, late in games, has Seton Hall been unable to get it to their best free throw shooter? They've been working on it in practice. They got it to their 94% free throw shooter. And he iced the game at the line. The Pirates are no longer at the bottom of the Big East in free throws. All right, this is an excellent free throw shooting team. And Al Dawes led the way. So it was Adewusu, Richmond, and Dawes making key plays down the stretch. And let me just say this. Al Dawes, I owe him an apology. Okay. I've been hard on him, criticized him on this podcast. I have criticized him on Twitter. But I don't think I've said anything that I'm stating the facts. When Al Dawes goes four for 11 from three, or when Al Dawes goes uh, two for 15 or three for 15 from three or whatever it was, one of my main criticisms was not to poke fun at him, but it was just to merely say, hey, This guy is shooting three after three after three after three. And at some point when it's not your game, you hear coaches talk about this all the time. Find another way to get your points. Find another way to help your team. And there's no question about it. He's human. The fact that the shot wasn't going in affected him. Each and every shot affected him on the defensive end. And I think Al Dawes will be the first to tell you that it affected him on both ends of the floor. Hey, he's human. I get it. But the best players have a way to shut that out and still find other ways to help their team win. And what you're seeing is the maturation of Al Dawes. You're seeing the evolution of a veteran player. Look at what he's doing in the games. It's not just catch and shoot. It's not just fire a three. He's getting to the rack. He is getting to the rim and laying it in. He's got a nice little floater now where he's he's getting on the baseline and he's getting into the lane and he's throwing up one-handed floaters. It's the evolution and the maturation. He's not just a three-point shooter. And with that, he is defending like he has an all-season Al Dawes and Kaderi Richmond, for that matter, are playing like the best backcourt tandem in the Big East. 
since Big E's play has begun, there is not a better backcourt in the Big East outside of Stores, Connecticut, with Tristan Newton and Cam Spencer. We can debate that. Kaderi Richmond and Al Dawes are playing on a level that puts them in the discussion in Big East play right up there with Tristan Newton and Cam Spencer. They are playing that well. And no one has been able to stop Kaderi Richmond. No one outside of Mawat Mag and Mag and Jamichael Davis uh, slowed down Richmond. I believe he still had 18 or 20 points in that game, but he had to work for it. But no one outside of that game in this stretch that Seton Hall has been on since the beginning of December has been able to stop Kaderi Richmond. He has put himself in the discussion, not only for first team all Big East, but Big East player of the year. His last three games. Let's just put it this way. Let's, let's cover the whole Big East, okay? In Big East play, Kaderi Richmond is averaging 18 and a half points, 6.6 rebounds, 5.2 assists, and 2.8 steals. Those are Big East Player of the Year numbers. Seton Hall has been a better offensive team this year than they were last year. They're the same defensively. The numbers are the same. They're maybe giving up a few more points a game, but shooting percentages are exactly where they were last year at 41.5 point uh, percentage, 41.5% field goal percentage. That is what Seton Hall is allowing. That's virtually the same as last year. It's, believe it or not, their offensive numbers that have gone up. Why? Kadari Richmond's a better offensive player. Al Dawes is putting up offensive numbers. Uh, unlike last season, uh, he's he's increased his, his percentages and his scoring in Big East play. Dre Davis has done the same thing. And Seton Hall is locked in defensively. That's where it all begins for this team. They have finally bought in defensively what Shaheen Holloway wants them to do. So will they keep it up? Tough matchup against Butler. We'll see on Saturday. Let's continue in the Big East. St. John's, another team that Rick Patino said it. He said, this team will be better in January and February than it is at the beginning of the year. And he's a prophet. This team is playing like Rick Patino thought they could play. Why? It's the play of Dennis Jenkins, and it's the play of Joel Soriano. Dennis Jenkins is also in the discussion for first-team All-Big East. I'm not going to say that he's, that he's Big East Player of the Year, but if St. John's finishes in the top two or three in the standings, he very much is worthy of being called Big East Player of the Year on a team that has arguably the best center in the Big East in Joel Soriano. But Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside, that is the key. And just like Seton Hall, St. John's jumped out to a big lead against Providence, saw it evaporate in the second half when Providence took a lead, and they had to make big plays down the stretch. Why? Because Devin Carter put on one of the, the great individual performances at Madison Square Garden for an opposing player and certainly put out the best individual performance by a player in the Big East this season. Devin Carter was a dude. Devin Carter was amazing in this game. 31 points, 13 rebounds. He single-handedly almost beat St. John's. But St. John's found a way to win a game that earlier in the season, they would have lost, just like they did against Boston College. It wasn't that long ago that St. John's didn't have it together. But you're seeing the maturation of a team. You're seeing the evolution of players playing and knowing what is expected of them from Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino has said it. I put together a collection of offensive players and I'm trying to make them play defense. I'm trying to teach them how to play defense. They are learning how to play defense. 
They went to a zone. The zone is working. Their man-to-man is better. They're following the scouting report, and they're following through. So late in the game, when Providence was threatening and cut it to one, Devin Carter was still on fire. The Providence fans are going crazy. Providence fouls Brady Dunlap, the freshman. Tough spot for the freshman. Okay, he was dinged up a little bit. We know he's going to be an amazing player. He's done an excellent job since in being inserted into the starting lineup. He has put um, everything that Rick Patino could expect out of this freshman. He has produced and more. But Brady Dunlap misses the first free throw. St. John's clinging to a one-point lead with about seven seconds to go. Brady Dunlap misses the second, and out of nowhere, R.J. Luis comes flying in, grabs the rebound, pulls it away from Devin Carter, who then fouls Luis and picks up his fifth foul of the game. So not only does Luis grab the rebound, St. John's up one, but he fouls out the other team's best player who is having the game of his life. Talk about a double whammy. Talk about a one-two punch by Luis. And if you look at the replay, you saw Ticket Gaines, Devontae Ticket Gaines, trying to box out Luis, and Luis just, he kind of tosses him aside, but Ticket Gaines was off balance and then just went to the floor, crumpled to the floor, and Luis goes and gets the rebound and gets fouled. An amazing play. Is it Luis? Is it Lewis? I'm going to say this. Only RJ can tell you how to pronounce his name. But last year, if you listen to UMass games, it was Luis. And this year, suddenly the announcers are calling him Lewis. So I'm going to go with Luis, okay? With all due respect. Luis goes to the line, misses the first free throw, hits the second, and then St. John's fans had to had to... Uh, hold their breath until Jaden Pierre throws up an air ball on the last three. So St. John's exhales four and one in the big East, their best start in the big East in 23 years. And the Johnnies have a tough task ahead at Creighton on Saturday. And they get to five and one next week. They're playing Seton hall at Seton hall. That is a very difficult two game stretch. St. John's fans, sure, you want to get greedy, but one and one, that is the goal. Find a way to split at Creighton and at Seton Hall, two places where St. John's has not won in recent years. So good for the Johnnies, good for Seton Hall, and good too for UConn. The Huskies are four and one. If you recall, they lost their Big East opener at Seton Hall. Donovan Klingon went down in that game with a strained tendon. He has been out ever since. And all UConn has done is win four Big East games, two at home, two on the road, without their most important player. They have done it with small ball. They have done it, uh, you know, reinventing what they do because everything offensively and defensively has gone through the big fella. And why not when you're seven foot two and that's skilled? We've seen the the other players step up and make a difference. Stefan Castle is healthy and he's playing like the Big East freshman of the year. Uh, everyone has picked up their game. All right. Alex Caraban has come alive in the last few games and he has found his stroke once again. Cam Spencer is putting up Cam Spencer numbers. And Tristan Newton is playing like a Big East player of the year candidate. UConn was in a dogfight at Xavier. UConn was in a situation where they did not play a great first half. They were down by seven points at halftime. They were being out-rebounded 20-14. to 14. Xavier had 12 second-chance points. And UConn had to regroup UConn had to find that grit, that toughness that they found in the second half against Butler. And they found it. They made shots. Tristan Newton had an awful first half. 
Xavier was doing everything they could to bottle him up and stop him. At one point, he was two for eight. And then after that, he came alive. And UConn had a 10-0 run in the second half. Tristan Newton was the catalyst, hit back-to-back threes in that 10-0 run. UConn took the lead. They took control of the game. And it was Newton who later iced that game with six seconds to play by hitting two big free throws. This was a team effort. Getting contributions from everyone. Hassan Diera has been, listen, you want to say he's sixth man of the year in the Big East? I'll go with that. He's certainly one of the most valuable players coming off the bench for the national champs. And I don't know if UConn wins at Butler or at Xavier without the grittiness, without the defensive awareness of Hassan Diera, and without his production. Because against Butler, he scored all nine of his points in the second half. Against Xavier, he scored all 11 of his points in the second half. And his last three games, Hassan Diera is 11 for 14. 11 for 14 from the field. Six for eight from three. And averaging 11 points a game. There's a player who knows his role, accepts it, and excels. Tristan Newton, 16 points, 11 rebounds. Alex Caravan took an elbow to the face, needed stitches to close up a gash on his forehead. And afterward, in case you didn't see it, Danny Hurley said, I don't know. I don't know what happened. They're going all WWE out there. And they pulled some dusty road shit. I love it. Only Dan Hurley would make a dusty roads reference. They're pulling some dusty road shit out there, you know, like, like a chair across the face or, you know, cutting their, their uh, forehead with a razor blade. Like they used to do in the old WWF when it was called the WWF, right? You know, to show blood coming down, they would actually do that. These wrestlers for show for real blood, Right, would take a a, a a prop chair across the head, or they would they would get thrown over the ropes, and as they're on the ground writhing in pain, they would literally take a razor blade and and throw it across their forehead. Only Dan Hurley would make a Dusty Rhodes WWE reference. Well, Alex Caravan was not in the WWE. They stitched him up. He finished the game. There was no foul called on that play, and. Alex Caravan is a hockey player, ladies and gentlemen. Stitched him up. Get out there. Get up. Get back out there on the ice. And UConn pulls it out. So now, I'm not sure of the availability of uh, Donovan Klingon in this game against Georgetown. But either way, UConn is going to try to win their fifth straight game with or without Donovan Klingon against Georgetown. We'll see if they can get it done and remain in first place in the Big East. How great would it be if UConn wins? and St. John's wins, and Seton Hall wins. And somehow, on Tuesday, at the Prudential Center, we have Seton Hall hosting St. John's for first place in the Big East. Either way, that is a huge game, and we'll see what UConn can do as well. And last but not least, let's talk Rutgers. They needed a win in the worst way to stop the bleeding, stop the hemorrhaging, And along came the perfect antidote. Rutgers could not have handpicked a better opponent than the Indiana Hoosiers daddy. Hoosiers daddy. This is a team that Rutgers has absolutely owned at Jersey Mike's Arena and owned over the last six years, winning nine of the last 11 matchups. Now, yes, Rutgers still can't shoot. They struggle from three. They can't even hit layups. But what they have found, and we've talked about it here, I have talked about it over the last two weeks, they must defend, they must rebound, they must turn you over, they need to win ugly. 
there's going to come a game where these shots do fall. Law of averages say they, they eventually are going to fall. But the majority of the time, they won't fall. And when they don't, Rutgers has to do those three things. Defend, rebound, turn you over. Let's take them in order. All right? They defended. They held Indiana to a season-low 57 points. Indiana also scored 57 in the loss to UConn at the Garden earlier this year. The Hoosiers shot 33% in the second half. Great job of defending on Malik Reynou. Reynou? Reynou. Great job of defending by Cliff Amore and Antoine Wolfolk. Reynou scored 13 points, but for the majority of that game, for the first 30 minutes, I think he was at like six points. All right? The 2-3 zone was terrific. It seems to take coaches a while, halfway through the season, to install their zone defense. Whatever it is, the man-to-man is easier to, to teach than the zone. Unless you're Jim Behan, right? Then it's just 2-3, two, 2-3, three, 2-3, two, 2-3. Three, two, three. But the 2-3 zone was terrific. We've seen teams go to it more now. We've seen St. John's implore a successful zone. We've seen Seton Hall, and we've seen Rutgers. So the 2-3 zone was terrific. The Hoosiers were frustrated. Go to the end of the first half. Tie ball game. Indiana had the ball holding for the last shot. Rutgers in a zone. Xavier Johnson trying to make something happen. Loses the ball out of bounds. And now Rutgers has the ball five seconds to go in the half. Game tied at 27. And they have a chance to take the lead. And boy, did they ever. Derek Simpson dialed up just the shot you need. I'm sure they practice it all the time. The old 40-foot bank shot at the buzzer. And Simpson holding the form. <laughs> bank shot. He runs into the locker room, handheld high. Rutgers goes into the half with a 30-27 to 27 lead. That wasn't a turning point, but it was certainly in Rutgers' favor where they had momentum going into the half. Every shot counts. Those three points were big, especially with Rutgers jumping into the lead in the second half and fighting off Indiana in the second half with their defense. All right. They also did it with rebounding. They out-rebounded a longer Indiana team by 11. That should not go unnoticed. 51 to 40. But this is what Rutgers does against Indiana. They are tougher. They are stronger. They have a better will. They out-rebound them. And case in point, in the second half, Rutgers going to that 2-3 zone, there were two big weak side rebounds by Derek Simpson. The shot goes up from the left side. Derek Simpson is the weak side rebounder on the right side, has his man sealed off. And of course, like most jump shots, from the opposite side, if they miss, they hit the rim and continue going opposite. They're usually not short, the majority of them. Simpson was where he needed to do, sealed off his his uh, opponent, his, his uh, offensive player, and then ran down the ball in the corner for two big defensive rebounds. Rebounding right up there with defense, this Rutgers win. And the third key point were the turnovers. 18 in all by Indiana, leading to 18 points for Rutgers. Big play in the second half. Uh, I forget what the score was midway through. Probably about 8 to 10 minutes to go. Mawat Mag comes up with a steal in the half court. Leads to a dunk. I believe that made it 51 to 40 if I'm not mistaken, on that dunk. And yes, six minutes and 30 seconds to go. 
That steal and dunk by Mag put Rutgers up 11. There were some big moments in that second half, some big shots. Andre Hyatt hitting a three. Rutgers hit their free throws, and boy, Indiana did not. Did you see the stats on Indiana? I, I don't recall ever seeing a team at this level shoot this poorly. Indiana shot 27% from the free throw line. And afterwards, Mike Woodson, I mean, he made it a point to bring this up, right? He brought up the free throws. He's like, there's a... They're supposed to be free throws, right? He's like Tone Loke, Bunky Cole Medina. They're supposed to be free throws. They're free. That's what Mike Woodson was saying. We got to get that corrected. Four for 15. Ouch. Ouch. Another big player in the second half. Rutgers had plenty of them. Austin Williams seniors, graduate seniors, sixth-year seniors making plays that veterans know how to do. Inserted into the lineup, the starting lineup for the third time this season. This is a player who has been through the wars. This is a player who has proven it. He is Jersey strong. He is a Seton Hall prep guy. He is a player who... Always wanted to play for Rutgers. And he's done it at high levels. He's done it at University of Hartford in the America East. When Hartford, when they were still Division I, won their first and only America East championship during the COVID year. All right. Leads them to a championship. Named most outstanding player in that tournament. He has found a home at Rutgers and Steve Peichel's system. It is a player that Peichel wanted, and it is a place that Williams wanted to go. We just haven't seen it. We haven't seen it enough because Williams has been injured. And we hope that his nagging injuries are in the past and he's able to play because you have seen what he can do over the last couple of games when Austin Williams is around. Ten points, six rebounds for Austin Williams in this game. He has been a catalyst. He has been a player that, when inserted into that lineup, is making plays. And Steve Peichel said afterward, Austin Williams has earned it in practice, and he has earned the ability to start. He is an X-factor for Rutgers. Michael brought out his seniors to this post-game press conference following the win over Indiana. He brought out Hyatt. He brought out Mag. He brought out Williams. These players, Cliff Amori, another senior. If Rutgers hopes to follow up this win with a win at the Breslin Center against Michigan State, a place where they haven't won ever, 0-7 all-time. If Rutgers expects to win a game that Michigan State will be heavily favored, they're going to have to do it in this fashion. And hopefully the shots will fall. But if they're not, it's going to have to be a grind. An ugly type of win again. Michigan State is, is the bigger team. They're more physical. But if Rutgers could be, could be more physical than them like they were against Indiana... There's hope that they can win this game. All right? Because Michigan State, they were top five preseason. Top five. I mean, they're not even top 50 right now. They're one and four in the Big Ten. And that doesn't happen under Tom Izzo very often. 25% of the way into the Big Ten schedule. And Tom Izzo and Michigan State and Michigan are at the bottom of the Big Ten at one and four. Now, Rutgers isn't much better at one and three, but that's what you're looking at here. A chance to stay out of the basement, a chance to get some momentum going into next week. Who's going to win this game? It's going to be a battle of wills that 
is going to determine the outcome of this game. Who can make the play in crunch time? I feel it's going to have that type of uh, element to it. Who can make the play in crunch plays in crunch time? Who has the will to win more than the other team and make the defensive stops at one end or knock down the shots or free throws at the other end, making the plays in the final four minutes of this game. It has the feel of that type of game. That's where I'm going with it. All right. That is your tri-state college basketball podcast. Everyone brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers.com. Check them out. If you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play high-level softball for an elite club team, go to NorthJerseyVipers.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching us on YouTube. Thank you for downloading and listening to us anywhere you get your podcasts. My name is Brian Dinavellis. I do appreciate you. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long.